Well, good morning. You didn't have your ice cream yet, did you? Come on, you're doing it wrong. You're supposed to grab your ice cream on the way in, take a bathroom break in the middle of service, and then get one on your way out, too. That You could have three, three ice creams in one hour. It's, it's a good day. Um, so we're in the middle of the series called Sunday Sundays, and what we're doing each week is uh, we're highlighting one of the values of our church. Uh, Pastor Rick started off a couple weeks ago, talked about the Bible. Uh, he talked last week about evangelism. Um, and we'll continue this over the next several weeks into the, uh, the second week of August. So uh, I, I tell you all that to say we will have ice cream for the next several weeks. So this is a great series to invite a friend, uh, bribe a friend to come to church with you because uh, we'll have ice cream for a while. But um, as many of you know, I have a daughter who is, uh, she just turned two years old in June. Uh, June 14th was her birthday, so she's uh, just over 25 months now. It's our, our first daughter. Uh, so if you need any parenting advice, let me know. I got it mastered at this point, because uh, I have a two-year-old. Like, I know everything there is to know. Uh, just kidding, I know nothing. But if you were to ask me my favorite part of being a father, uh, I think depending on when you asked me, like at, at what age, my answer would probably vary. Uh, but right now, I think my favorite part of having a daughter is watching her grow right in front of my eyes. Uh, like seeing how uh, like she just develops and uh, going from like just being able to hold her head up to crawling to standing to walking to saying just a couple words. And uh, lately, uh, my favorite thing has been uh, she can start, she's constructing her own sentences now. Uh, she's been able to say sentences for a while, but it was always like the exact phrasing that my wife and I would use. Uh, but lately, we've noticed like she's making her own sentences and she's constructing things how she wants. And it, it's just, it's so cool to just watch all of this happen right in front of your eyes. Uh, but how sad would it be if her development and her growth just suddenly stopped? Like, it, it, it's an interesting thing because like, I, I find myself missing uh, the stage she was at, uh, loving the stage she's currently at, and at the same time looking forward to the next stage. Uh, but how sad would it be if she just stopped right where she was right now? As fun as this stage is, uh, like, I don't want that to last forever. Uh, it, it would just be sad. It would be a tragedy. I, I love that she's dependent on me. But at some point, my hope for her is that she grows into a woman who is independence and only dependence on God. Uh, I love the days of feeding her with a bottle, uh, and I cherish those days, and I look back fondly on those days. But uh, I also love the fact that she can eat on her own right now. She can pick up a spoon and pick up a fork. And as much as I'm loving this stage, I'm also looking forward to the next stage where she can do that without making a huge mess all over the kitchen and her body and her face and her hair. She combed her hair with a comb full of pudding the other day. Um, I, I love cuddling with her and watching her movies. Like that, It's just such a special moment during snack time, watching a little part of a movie. But I, I long for the day that I never have to watch Frozen again. <laughs> and I could let that movie go. Get it? I got the dad jokes down also. Uh, but we were obviously meant to grow, and not just physically, but we were meant to grow uh, relationally and emotionally and mentally, and we were obviously meant to also grow spiritually. And that is the, 
the value I want to focus on today is spiritual growth. So, uh, it, and if you're here today, I, I believe that's important to you. Uh, if you're watching online, I believe that's important to you to grow spiritually. That's why you come to church in the same way you go to the gym to grow physically, uh, you come, or maybe shrink physically, uh, you come to church to grow spiritually or to appease your wife. Either way, we are happy you are here this morning and we're grateful for that. But seriously, if we consider ourselves a Christian, we have one overarching goal in life, and that is, uh, is to be more like Jesus. The overarching goal of being a Christian is to be more like Jesus. That's really the definition of what being a Christian is. Being a Christian literally means to be a follower of Jesus, which means we should strive to walk like and talk like and act like and be like Jesus. And the Bible uses uh, really interesting metaphors to describe a life that looks like Jesus. Uh, in fact, in several places of the Bible, the authors use an image of a health a full, healthy, and fruit-bearing tree to describe the life of a Christian. One example is the fruit of the Spirit. It's a passage we'll look at in just a moment. Uh, Now, we talked a lot about the fruit of the Spirit earlier this year, so we're not going to break down each and every fruit and what they represent. Uh, But just to refresh your memory, the fruit of the Spirit, it's a list of attributes that describe the life of a healthy Christian. It describes the life of someone who's being more like Jesus, who's growing spiritually, what that life should look like. Uh, we'll look at the passage here. This is what Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. He said, but the, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit or attributes in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So this is the direction that our lives should be headed. Uh, over the months and the years and the decades of following Jesus, these attributes should begin to take root and grow in our lives. That is how we grow spiritually. But here's the problem that every single Christian faces is we face resistance to growing spiritually. And there's probably all sorts of different ways that we face this resistance, but just to name a few, uh, three types of resistance to spiritual growth. The first one is self-inflicted. Uh, Let's be honest, we don't need the devil tempting us uh, to do some of the bad decisions we make. Some of those decisions I just make all by myself. Like the the devil doesn't even have to try to get me to do some of the things that I do. So some of the things, some of the resistance to growing spiritually, it's just our own poor decisions. They're self-inflicted. Second thing is this is circumstantial. Uh, there, it's just true that there are some circumstances in life that makes it difficult to grow spiritually. It, it requires a lot of work to grow spiritually. But the interesting thing with this is it, it seems, and this is just my experience, but it seems like the harder the circumstance, although it's harder to grow spiritually, if you can push through, those are the moments you grow the most spiritually. Uh, when I look back at my own life and I, I pinpoint the different times where I just took a giant step forward in my spiritual growth, it always had to do with some trial that I was walking through. But it is hard to do it. Uh, so self-inflicted, circumstantial. And then the third one is Satan. Uh, this is the one I want to focus on today because as Christians, we believe we have a, a very real spiritual enemy, uh, Satan, who as the Bible describes in 1 Peter 5, 8, he is, uh, he's like a lion who, who just looks around for someone 
to devour, who prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour, looking for someone weak to take down. He wants nothing more than to devour us, to destroy our lives, to hurt our relationships, to impede our spiritual growth. In fact, here is Satan's goal. Satan's goal, if he can't damn us, he will try to keep our branches bare and our roots shallow. So his number one goal is to keep us out of heaven, but if he can't do that, it's not as if he just gives up and he he stops paying attention to us. No, if he can't keep us out of heaven, he will do anything he can to keep our roots shallow and our, our branches bare. Satan hates it when we grow spiritually. He hates it when we begin to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So uh, going back to the tree imagery that we used just a moment ago, uh, I want to show you the type of life that Satan tries to prevent you and I from having. It's a a passage in Jeremiah chapter 17. This describes the life uh, of, uh, of someone who's growing in their faith. It says, But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruits. The Bible consistently uses a full thriving tree to describe the life of a Christian with deep roots and full branches. Here's an example of a healthy and a thriving tree. When when I think of the tree that Jeremiah describes, this is kind of what I picture, just a long branches, uh, just like a a tall tree. It's a healthy looking tree. But let me show you what Satan will try to do to us. He will try his best to keep us like this. Now, in in preparation for this message, uh, I I tried to find a bonsai tree. I couldn't do it. I I asked a lot of people, no bonsai trees. I called nurseries. I called all the karate places I knew. Nobody had a bonsai tree for me to borrow. Uh, So I went to a nursery, and um, actually before that, I did a little bit of research on a bonsai tree, and I actually found out that uh, any tree can be a bonsai. It's not a particular, like I always had in this, like from the karate kid, I had a a vision of like the kind of, this part kind of goes up and like it's artistic and the branches look a certain way. Uh, That's what I always had in my mind. But as I researched it, any tree can be a bonsai tree. Uh, All you have to do is you, you have to keep it small. That's what makes a bonsai tree. And bonsai trees, they're grown using pot confinements and leaf control. So again, you could literally take any tree, make it a bonsai if you keep it contained in a pot and you control its leaves. So let's talk about the roots for a second. Um, That being true, if any tree can be a bonsai, that means no tree is meant to be a bonsai. Bonsai or trees are not meant to stay in their pot forever. Uh, when, I, when I went to the store and I bought this tree, uh, the, the woman that, who was cashing me out, she starts to give me all these, uh, like these facts about this tree. She's telling me how to water it. I'm like, listen, I'm, I just need to keep it alive for two weeks. Like, I don't need all this information. Just like, what's the name of it? And it's not going to grow too big in two weeks, right? So I, I was all set. Um, but she was describing to me that that's correct, like technically, because this is small, if it remains small and stays in the pot, 
It's a bonsai. But if you really want this tree to grow to what it's meant to be, you take it home, you put it in the ground. Why? Because the roots will begin to grow. The roots will begin to grow. Now, if I wanted to keep this a bonsai tree, what you would have to do is you would move it into a little bit bigger of a pot, but you, you would never take it outside of the pot because you want to prevent the roots from growing too much. But what's interesting is every once in a while, you actually have to take it out and you have to trim the roots so the roots don't grow too far into the pot. Otherwise, the, the health of the tree diminishes. And I, I just believe that's, that's kind of what Satan does in the life of some Christians. He will do whatever he can to keep us inside and contained in the pot. And occasionally he will, he, he will give us the appearance of life, but he will keep our roots trimmed. The last thing Satan wants to do is for us to grow our spiritual roots deep. I mean, some of us, I, I just believe that we've become comfortable in our pots. We feel safe in our pots. Although we know we can grow spiritually, we've just, we've gotten comfortable. Some of us, I, I, we may have handed Satan the scissors to allow him to trim our roots. And I just believe that God wants more for our lives than that. God wants our roots to grow deep in him. Why? Because deep roots allow for abundant fruit. Deep roots allow for abundant fruit. Uh, I mentioned earlier that there were two things that the owner of a bonsai tree will do. Uh, they'll trim the roots, but the second thing is they, they will shape the branches. If you own a bonsai, you, you really have control over what the tree looks like. It's all about how you trim the branches. You, you, you have control all based on uh, how you control the leaves. Um, and what's interesting is some bonsais, because again, any tree can be a bonsai, some will produce fruits. So it will have, again, the appearance of life, but the fruit, if that's your goal is to grow a bonsai with fruit, the fruit is all for show. You could eat it, but it will maybe produce four or five pieces of fruit. It looks like a healthy, full tree, but you take a few steps back and you realize that the fruit is kind of useless and the tree is not what it was meant to be. But if you put that tree in the ground and you let the roots grow deep and the branches grow wide, it will grow into what it was meant to be. And the deeper the roots go, the more fruits it can produce, the more weights above the ground it can sustain. By the way, one of the ways that I believe we move from the pot to the ground is by planting ourselves in a local church. Uh, I, I love our church, I love one church, but I've said it before, it doesn't have to be our church. My prayer for you, though, is that you get connected in the local church, not just attend, but engage and be a part of small groups, be a part of serving, engage in the local church, because I believe that spiritual growth happens best in the context of relationships. So what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about this week is understanding Satan's strategy to keep us like this. What does his strategy look like? Because if he knows the area, if we know the areas he's going to come at us at, uh, we can put some things in place to prevent us, uh, prevent him from keeping us pot contained and our branches bare. So here is Satan's strategy. Satan's primary strategy to prevent, a, to prevent roots and fruit is to lie to us. Uh, John, or Jesus describes Satan in John chapter 8, verse 44. 
He says Satan was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Satan, when he talks, it's in the form of lies. That is his native language. But here's the thing about the lies of Satan is they're usually not uh, really blatant. <laughs> they're, they're usually subtle. They're believable. A lot of times it is uh, a lie that is wrapped in a layer of truth. So it, it seems really believable. For example, uh, my dad's favorite hobby is hunting. Uh, he's a good hunter. He, he hunts as much as he possibly can. And one year, several years ago, he shot this deer and he took this picture and he sent it to all of his friends. Here's the picture of his deer. I mean, that's, that's a big deer. And he sent it to all of his friends and it actually ended up in a hunting calendar several years ago. But the thing with this picture is it is kind of a joke. <laughs> it, it's a lie actually, because what he did, he did shoot this deer, but the deer is a doe. And he had these antlers that were found out west that when he got back to the house, he kind of put them on the deer to make it look like something it wasn't. But his friends believed him. The, the people who received the calendar believed him. Why? Because it was a believable joke. It, it was a believable lie. He didn't put these antlers on a rabbit. <laughs> he put them on a deer. It was a subtle lie. It was believable on the surface. Um, the only way you could have known that it was a lie really is if you were there or if you know my dad well enough to know that 90% of what he does is he, he, sa he says a lot of jokes. And by the way, he wanted me, he said I could share that story, but he wanted me to make it very clear that I'm not comparing my father to Satan today. So <laughs> wanted to clear that up before we move on. But this is how Satan will lie to us. He, he's not going to go to a strong Christian and say, hey, you should have an affair. It, what he might do is he might begin to plant small, subtle lies in us, like, hey, you, you, should, you should talk to that person that you work with. Hey, you, you've been talking to that person. You should confide in that person. You, you should confide your marriage problems with that person. You, your conversations are getting personal. You should go out for coffee with that person. You know, they've been there for you through thick and thin. You should give that person an extended hug and it's just these little lies over and over and over until Satan has you right where he wants you. I mean, substitute the word affair in that story for anything. Gossip, addiction, envy. Satan's not going to try to pull you to the rock bottom right away. It's going to be these small, subtle lies over time. He's going to say things to you like, it's no big deal. No one will find out. You deserve this. So what I want to do is I, I want to give you five common lies that Satan tells us. Just being a pastor, these are things that I've heard over and over and over. These are some things that in my own life that Satan has lied to me about, and I believe some of these things. So let's talk about five lies. The first one is this, is the Bible is too complicated. I, I've heard this one so many times. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but when I was in high school, I never studied for my SATs uh, because where would you even start? Right? SATs are, are not on any single subject. It is, uh, it's basically a combination of everything you've learned from first grade to 11th grade. So how would you even start to study for that? It's an impossible thing. At least that's what I told my parents when I was in high school because it is possible to study for the SATs. It just requires a lot of time 
and a lot of work. There's research that shows if you spend one month, 10 to 20 hours a week for one month studying for the SATs, your scores will drastically increase. If you make that three months, your scores will increase by a lot. But I was just believing the lie that this was an impossible task. So let's talk about this book for a moment. This book is pretty complicated. It's 66 books, some of them letters, some of them poetry, some of them historic, some of them prophetic. Uh, 66 books written by over 40 authors over the span of 1600 years. It can be a little complicated, but it's not too complicated. Satan wants you to feel overwhelmed by the Bible. He wants you to think and believe that it is a waste of time because you'll never fully understand it. He wants you to think that you'll just be more confused if you read it. But those are lies and a common lie of the devil. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Think about it. If you, if you walk down a path with a light, do you see the whole path at once? No, you, you see just enough to so you can take your next steps, just enough so you can take your next few steps. The Bible is complicated, but it's not too complicated. And it will grow your roots. <clears throat> By the way, week one of this series, Pastor Rick talked a lot about the Bible. He gave you some tools that make it a little easier to understand. Uh, you, you don't have to read from cover to cover. There are tools, there's devotionals. Uh, we have daily bread things uh, devotionals in the back. Uh, you can go online. There, there's so many resources. It's never been easier to understand the Bible. So don't believe the lie that it's too complicated. So that's the first lie that the, the devil will use. The second one is this, is that prayer is a waste of time. That prayer is a waste of time. Um, this is one, if I'm just being honest with you, this is one that I've believed over the years because I'm someone who, when there's a problem in front of me, I want to go address the problem. I want to go fix the problem as quick as possible. I'm someone who just, I'd like to do action. So for me, this is something I've had to learn that prayer is not in action. Prayer is action. Prayer could be the most important thing we do when we're facing a problem. Satan hates it when we pray. Because when we pray, we're inviting God into our situations, into our daily life, into our thoughts. So what does Satan do? Again, he will lie to us. He'll say things like, if you just sit there with your eyes closed, you're not going to solve the problem in front of you. Act first. He'll say things like, remember that other time you prayed and you prayed hard, but you didn't get the answer you were hoping for? He'll say things like, you know what, rather than go to God with this important decision, why don't you ask people on Facebook? Because that's always a great idea. <laughs> but what if we prayed first? What if before every action, every decision, anytime we opened our mouth to correct someone, what if we paused and we prayed? Uh, I'm just telling you the, those fruit of the spirit that we read earlier today, if we did this and we prayed before every little thing, I, I promise you every one of those fruit of the spirit would begin to grow in your life. So he'll tell us the Bible's too complicated, prayer is a waste of time. The third one, and this is kind of a general one, but he'll say things like God won't fill in the blank. It could be things like God won't love me, God won't accept me. God won't understand. God won't answer. 
God couldn't possibly forgive me again. God won't use someone like me. And here's why I think this, this is an easy lie to believe, because there are some things that we won't do. There are some people that I have a hard time loving, like Tom Brady. Like, <laughs> not the insurance guy that lives in Akron. He, he's, he's a different kind of hard to love, but we love him anyways. But Tom Brady is a hard guy to love, right? <laughs> uh, there, there are some people, like, and if, if I have a hard time loving someone, and I, I joke about that one, but if I have a hard time loving someone, like, seriously, uh, sometimes I think if I have a hard time loving this person, God must have a hard time loving this person. And if I start to do something that makes me unlovable, I begin to think that God must have a hard time loving me. Or maybe God won't understand. Honestly, there are things that I don't understand. Uh, maybe God can't forgive me. Uh, I'm a pretty forgiving person, but there are some things that I, I think about and I, I don't know how or uh, if I could forgive some people for some things, like if someone intentionally hurts my daughter, I'm, again, I'm a forgiving person, but I just don't know how I would handle that. So it's not hard for me to imagine unforgivable offenses. So I might find my, myself in a spot where I do something and I, I think, I don't know if I could forgive someone if they did that to me. How could God possibly forgive me? How could he possibly understand me? How could he possibly use me or love me? I don't always know the answer to that question, but I know that those are lies. I know he can, he will, he does love us, he does understand us, he will always forgive us. I think this is one of the reasons God used the Apostle Paul in such an amazing way. Uh, the Apostle Paul, before he became a Christian, he, he hated Christians, he, he killed Christians, he gave the the the, the order to go ahead and kill Stephen, the very first martyr. He was not a good person, but God, through a miracle, saved him. And he became someone that God used to plant churches all over the place, to write half of the New Testament. So don't believe the lie that God can't, because he can. So the Bible's too complicated. Prayer is a waste of time. God won't. The fourth one is that division is no big deal. Division is no big deal. Uh, look what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 13. He said, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. In Psalms, it says this. It says, how good and pleasant is it when God's people live together in unity. Uh, earlier this year, I did a message on New Year's resolutions, uh, and I shared with you the difference between to-do goals and to-be goals, how to-do goals are things that we want to do, we want to accomplish over the course of the year, and to-be goals are, are goal, uh, things that we want to become over the course of the year. And I shared with you some of my to-be goals, things like to be generous, to, uh, to be kind, to be patient, to be loving, to be joyful. Uh, well, not long after that message, I added one. And honestly, this one has been kind of my focus ever since. Uh, and that is to be a unifier. In a divided world, I don't want to add to that division. I want to bring people together. So how have I done that? Being slow to speak and quick to repent. Those are not natural for me. 
Uh, what is natural for me is to be quick to speak, to be quick to form an opinion, to be quick to defend that opinion. And let me just be transparent with you for a moment. Being quick to speak has cost me over the years. It has cost me influence, it's cost me energy, it's cost me friends. And it usually had nothing to do with what I said, it was how I said it and when I said it and how I communicated it. I've had to repent to friends and ask for forgiveness and admit when I was wrong. And by the way, Satan hates it when we do that. He hates it when we admit we were wrong and we go to someone and ask for their forgiveness. He hates it when we're slow to speak. Satan wants nothing more for you to make emotional decisions and emotional reactions with your words. One of Satan's favorite tools is to create division because division hurts the church. Division hurts families. Division hurts friendships. Division creates hostility. So division, by the way, that is one of the things that will keep us pot-confined. It will keep us isolated from other people. So the four lies we've talked about, the Bible's too complicated, prayer's a waste of time, God won't, division is no big deal. The fifth and final one is this, is that spiritually surviving is thriving. Spiritually surviving is thriving. The Bible is clear that the only thing required to be a Christian is, and to go to heaven is faith in Jesus. The Bible says we are saved by grace through faith. So let me just pose a few questions to you. Can you be a Christian without ever being connected to a local church? Yes. If you have faith in Jesus, yes. Can you battle an addiction your entire life and still go to heaven? Yes. Can you be a Christian if you never, never tithe? Yes. Can you be a Christian if you've never been baptized? Yes. Can you be a Christian if you only attend church but never engage by serving or giving or small groups? Yes. Are you a Christian if you consistently lose your temper or get drunk or have sex outside of marriage or gossip or treat others poorly, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? If you have faith in Jesus, yes. You can survive. You might even produce a little fruit but God wants so much more for you than that. If all you're interested in is making it to heaven and just surviving, that is a win for Satan. Because again, what is Satan's goal? If he can't damn us, his goal is to keep our roots shallow and our branches bare. And in the meantime, he will rob us of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You can survive on this earth and make it to heaven if you're content staying like this, allowing Satan to consistently trim your roots and shape your branches. You can still make it to heaven. You can still be a quote unquote healthy tree, but you won't be everything that God wants you to be. I believe with everything in me that that you want more than that. So when I bought this tree this past week, and again, I have no idea what she said this was called, but she was looking up all those little facts and she said, this will grow to 30 feet. I said, not in two weeks, right? Like I got some time, kind of ruin the illustration if it does. She said, it will grow to 30 feet. It just needs the right light. 
It needs to be planted in the right spot. It needs to be watered the right amount. 30 feet. Or it can stay in a pot forever with small leaves and it'll have some, uh, it'll look like it has some life to it. Bonsai trees can last a long time. Some of them are over 100 years old right now. But they weren't what they were meant to be. Again, no bonsai was meant to be a bonsai tree. They were meant to be a tree. They were meant to be full and healthy and wide leaves and deep roots. My prayer for you this week is that you will allow the same thing to happen to your soul. That you would allow God to to plant you in a local church where you can be nurtured, you could be fed, but don't rely on the church to do all your feeding. At some point, you have to pick up the spoon and feed yourself. We're here uh, an hour a week, maybe a couple if you serve or if you're in a growth group, but it, it requires some work on our own. It requires reading this book on our own, this complicated book that is not too complicated if we do a little bit of work. It requires... Uh, standing up to the lies of Satan and saying, I'm not gonna believe that today. I'm not gonna believe that prayer is a waste of time. I'm not gonna believe that division is okay when the world is just trying to tear us apart. I believe that God wants so much more for us than this. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for the the people that you've brought into my life that have influenced me, that have helped me to, uh, to plant deep roots in you, to grow some fruit. God, I pray that any fruit that I have in my life is only the beginning of what you're gonna do. And I pray that for all of us today. God, that we would never settle for where we are spiritually, that we would always be pressing on, knowing that the deeper our roots, the more fruit we can produce in our lives. Not for us, God, but for you, for the world, so that we can be the light of this world and others would be attracted to us and and that we can reach others for you. 